Bibles at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Just ignore the misprint in the service outline. And uh, Catherine is going to bring that to us. Catherine, what page is that on, at least in your Bible? 835 in the Bible that Catherine's got. Has anyone got a different version with a different page? 835. Everyone got 835? All right. Okay, terrific. Uh, And then Andrew's going to come and speak to us. Thanks, Catherine. Okay. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and been insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men with God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor we nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. So we're doing that now. <laughs> God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you, but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, (coughs) and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And also we thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's church in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Well, good day. I had no idea that passage. I didn't realise that passage about the mask. I'm not wearing a mask. Uh, you are. You are. <laughs> Let's, uh, let's pray as we, over, well, we have opened God's word. Uh, Lord, as we've opened your word, it's only by your spirit uh, that our hearts can be open to it, open to uh, be convicted, to be challenged, to be comforted, to be encouraged, to be changed, whatever. Whatever your spirit wants in our hearts and lives tonight, I pray that you'll do your work uh, to your glory. Amen. Well, a lot of things have changed since 1974. Uh, I applied for a candidate as a candidate for the ministry back then for the Presbyterian Church. You know, I was the only candidate that year, uh, the only candidate for the ministry. The church was three times the size as it is now, Uh, but I was the only candidate. Uh, But because I applied, it was said I was going to Moore College, the Anglican 
uh, conservative and re reformed theological college, uh, and I wasn't going to go to the Presbyterian College, uh, St Andrews, uh, the Theological Education Committee of the Presbyterian Church in New South Wales ignored my application. However, I was an, a, a commissioned elder uh, to the General Assembly that year from Coloranabri. And when the Theological Education Committee convener uh, lamented to the Assembly, oh, we have no students for the ministry that year, I admit, <laughs> I enjoyed... <laughs> I enjoyed saying, well, uh, you haven't counted me in that. Uh, there is a candidate for the ministry. You, you've ignored my application because you know I'm going to more. Anyway, very hastily, very reluctantly, I was interviewed by the Theologi Theological Education Committee and the convener was, <laughs> he was mad as about me. <laughs> uh, and he sneered. Uh, I suppose you're one of those, and he spat it out, one of those fundamentalists who've been washed in the blood of the lamb. Well, I said, I am. I am. And let it be known that I still am. I only am. It's the gospel message in a few words that I've been preaching for 48 years. It's a message of God's grace. A sinful person like me can be washed clean by the bloody death of Jesus, the Lamb of God who has taken away my sin so that I'm right with him, ready for heaven by grace, not about me, by Jesus, plus nothing. And those fundamentals of the Christian faith I think are wonderful. I hope you do too. I'm happy to be a fundamentalist because I think being a fundamentalist is fun. How I thank God that things have changed since then, particularly in the Presbyterian Church, changed so much. We have a wonderful college, Christ College, uh, training ministers and elders and church leaders of all kinds whose priority is the gospel. And this old man thanks God for that. It was the gospel that Paul and his team uh, preached in Thessalonica around 50 AD. So only about 20 years after Jesus. And the Thessalonians responded. It says, chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And they were waiting for his son to come from heaven, whom God raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. There's a wonderful little gospel message in that, those few verses, isn't it? All, it's most of it there. Uh, they turned to God from idols. Uh, they served the living and true God. They were waiting for Jesus to come again. They turned, they served, they waited uh, for two very good reasons. They came to realise that, uh, that, that God was the living and true God. And not, not their idols were false, dead things. And they believed that Jesus was raised from the dead by God and that he delivered and rescued them from God's right anger. Now look, that gospel is being preached and taught and explained and lived in the Presbyterian Church uh, now all over New South Wales. Uh, you'll hear a little bit more about my role as moderator, but uh, here I am in Port Macquarie. Uh, I've known Scott and Cassie 
Um, and, and Alyssa, well, Alyssa was very little when I last saw her, except last week. Um, their home parish, uh, my home parish, uh, was uh, Scott's first parish in Virel. I know they preached the gospel there. I appreciated that many, many years ago. And I thank God that the gospel is being preached here in Port Macquarie. Uh, you should be thanking God for the gospel-focused ministry of a minister who is washed, a fundamentalist, hope you don't mind that term, <laughs> washed in the blood of the Lamb. 2nd of March, 1992, I was enjoying a laid-back evening when I got a call from the Reverend Peter Hastie, the Presbyterian Minister of Asheville. He said, um, look, uh, this afternoon there was a very interesting sermon preached in my church to a crowded group of uh, PWA, the Presbyterian Women's Association members. Uh, it was a very interesting sermon. Uh, would I go to Wentworthville and uh, get a copy of the, uh, get the sermon? Well, I did and asked the minister of Wentworthville and listened to the sermon on the way back. It was an old-fashioned cassette. It was way back then. Uh, I listened to it back as I went back to Mount Druitt where we lived. And I heard for the first time this story by Reverend Dr Peter Cameron about a cat, the guru's cat. There was a temple in India with a wise and loved guru and who would sit as gurus do and teach his followers and often enough with his cat beside him. And there was the guru with his cat. Time passed. The guru died. The cat would come and sit where the guru used to sit. And the guru's followers, out of love for their beloved guru, uh, cared for it. It reminded them of, their, of, of him. Time passed. And the cat died. And the guru's followers decided they'd get... Another cat to remind them of their beloved guru. Another guru's cat. Time passed. A long time. And there was a succession of cats. Eventually the guru was forgotten. But the temple authorities always had a cat in the temple until somebody asked, why do we have a cat in the temple? No one could answer was there because, well, the cat had to be there. The cat was always there, though everyone had forgotten the reason. And Peter Cameron said, the Bible is like the guru's cat. It's there. We have it in our churches. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Don't tell me what the Bible says about homosexuality or women ministers or things like that. It's irrelevant. It's like the guru's cat. It's nice to have around. A little bit comforting perhaps. Cute tradition. But meaningless. Like the guru's cat. Well, that got me going. <laughs> that evening I did a transcript. Uh, and I sent it around the church, posted it back in the days. Uh, and in time, Peter Cameron was rightly charged with heresy and removed as a minister. Uh, we say defrocked. I am proud of our denomination for doing that. I am proud of the Presbyterian Church for doing that. You are part of a denomination that's had the courage, 
probably the largest denomination of any church in Australia that's had the courage to say, well, this is what we believe and we're going to stand by it. And you walk away from that and say that the Bible's the guru's cat and you're out. No, it's not the same. I can't say that about other, many other churches. Uh, yeah, and plenty of churches, the Bible. And this was the case in the Presbyterian church in which I grew up as a child. The Bible was there in one version or another. But what's really going on are churchy ceremonies, smells and bells. Go to another church and there's a wonderful band and a brilliant preacher. It's all very engaging and very entertaining, but the Bible isn't read or explained. It's there, mind you. But that's not where the action is in those churches. It's like the guru's cat. Nice and comfy to have around, but pretty irrelevant really, isn't it? I hope it's not the case in your home too. Had a wonderful lunch at the Chapman's. <laughs> we talked about religion. Well, we didn't know it wasn't religion. It was about Jesus, we often. And we talked about politics and the world and Australia and everywhere. And we talked a little bit about sex too. <laughs> we broke the three rules of conversation. Is the Bible in your home like the guru's cat? It's really the TV and the Xbox and Netflix and the internet and Facebook that rule. And you might have a Bible or 12. They're so busy and tired after a day's work. You wouldn't toss the Bible out, but... It's nice to have around, it's comforting and uh, is it God's word that informs your worldview, challenges your lifestyle? Is it really like the guru's cat? Well, not for the Apostles Paul and you'll read it, I've, yeah, I, I'm not going to go really systematically through that passage but you feel the flavour of it. He was interested in explaining what God had to say. He came with the gospel to Thessalonica. Here's the key verse for tonight. Verse 8, 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 8. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well because you had become so dear to us. Paul loved those people in Thessalonica. He was only there for perhaps three weeks. But he loved them so much that he was delighted, he says. I just loved it was, it was one of the delights of my life to come and share the gospel with you and to see the way that you responded as we've talked about. Uh, his motive for coming was his love for, his, for them. Uh, the, the, yes, okay, some bad news of God's wrath, but the good news, the great news, Jesus. But I want to focus a bit of a challenge on something else there in that passage for tonight. Verse 8, again, we loved you so much that we're delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God. Have you ever noticed that? Very interesting, isn't it? Read my lips, Paul says, I came to you with the gospel. Yes, 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 absolute priority. I came to you with the gospel, but not only the gospel doesn't diminish the gospel, what I'm going to say. I am so pleased, proud, 
delighted that the Presbyterian Church by and large now has come back to a faithful view of God's word, of the gospel, and we don't treat it like the guru's cat like we did 50, 60 years ago. I am so proud of that. But, Paul says, we shared our lives as well. We loved you. We loved you, you people of Thessalonica. You became dear to us. Yes, they were faithfully preaching and sharing. This is the team, not just Paul. They were doing the hard yards. They were working night and day, giving their time 24, 7, 365. Look, they didn't just count the hours a week. They were getting energetically involved, engaged. When you read the context and read some of the things that it talks about doing, they were caring, they were being shepherds to the flock, uh, which is what a pastor means. Uh, You need a preacher who preaches God's word, and I thank God that you have, and you need a pastor who loves you and is going to challenge you to be the kind of people God wants you to be. I know you've got that too. And Paul was able to say, we gave ourselves to you. Uh, we, we, we loved you. We spent time with you. We had meals with you. We had coffee down the street. We visited you. We visited you at work, down in your homes. Uh, we invited you to our place for lunch, for tea, for whatever, talking about what mattered to you. We, 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 trivial things, yes, big things. We talked about your arthritis and we prayed for you and we shared your problems and we listened and shared your joy He talks about verse 7. It's a lovely word picture. Like a mother caring for her children. And and the not quite so happy picture. (laughs) Very interesting, a subtle difference. Verse 12, like a father dealing with his children. (laughs) Bit of a pat across the back, a bottom. Look how things have changed since 1974. I am proud of our denomination loyal to the Presbyterian Church because we're a gospel-focused church. We've outlived, and I've outlived, the sneers of the Theological Education Committee 50 years ago. A little bit feel like Steve Bradbury. Remember Steve Bradbury at the 2002 Winter Olympics or whatever it was? 2002 Winter Olympics? 2002? No, 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 not not the, the Winter Olympics. That was last week. Okay, right, get it right. Okay, sorry. You remember Steve Bradbury in the in the speed the speed skating of four hundred meters, was it? Yeah, and and we, he was going last, and then right at the finish line, everyone else fell over, and he round and won the gold medal. <laughs> Love it. I feel a little bit of that because I'm one of the older ministers of the denomination right now. Uh, we, we've outlived uh, so many of the uh, people who. Uh, walked away at the time of church union and we thank God but I just want to challenge us with that thought to be not just a, a church that is delighted to share with one another the gospel of God but our lives as well because you'd come so dear to us it always challenges me the thought of those first Christians uh, Acts 2 verse 42 Uh, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. 
Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Our church wasn't an optional thing for them. Uh, they loved the gathering, the ecclesia. Uh, and they gathered to hear the apostles' teaching. Uh, it wasn't the guru, the guide's word wasn't the guru's cat. They, they opened it. Uh, they, they, did, they actually had the apostles. We've now got it in writing. But they were actually said to the apostles, so tell us, what did Jesus really mean by blessed are the poor in spirit? Uh, tell us that story about that kid, that young fellow that ran away from home. What was Jesus telling us to, uh, in that story? Uh, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. You have God's word open before you in any number of translations. We can be uh, so easily devoted to the apostles' teaching. These first Christians were 2,000 years closer to the real thing. This is the real deal. Acts 2.42 they were devoted to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. Uh, the Greek word is koinonia. You've probably heard that in terms of it's much more than friendship. There's a very close connection. And, and in describing the koinonia, the fellowship, it says they broke bread. To, they, were allowed, they were allowed to. It wasn't coronavirus, okay? But they had coffee together. They invited each other home for meals. They met down at Macca's, whatever. whatever. They broke bread together. That's what it means. And then it talks about them sharing their possessions and providing for the needy. And it talks about them being devoted to prayer. Prayer with awe and praise. Prayer. Wonderful answers to prayer. Miracles, sincerity, joy. And that's how the church grew. Verse 47, Acts 2 Earning the favour, enjoying the favour of all the people, the Lord added to their number though daily those who were being saved. And the gospel spread like wildfire through the Roman Empire. Now all of those things can be yours. You can be, we can be devoted to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Fellowship is described as the breaking of bread. It's meals together, it's relationships, obviously, but it's meals together, a good laugh over the table, talking about politics and sex and religion. Yes, that's, that's how the church grows. That's how it grew. They didn't need buildings and organs and, sorry, bands and everything else. They, they, they grew in the most natural, real way because it was not only the gospel, it was the gospel, but not only the gospel... They were devoted to each other. They were devoted to people. They were devoted to relationships. And so Paul says, my, my, uh, my time with you was not in vain. Verse 13. We thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. And though the Jews rejected the gospel of Jesus, the Thessalonians embraced it with joy because they, 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 it, it was preached, it was explained, it was, and, and they, they believed it and, and they lived it. They put it into practice. And so Paul was asking no more than what he, had, uh, what he was doing himself. 
what they were doing themselves, living in a manner worthy of God, full on and not half-hearted and sacrificial and willing to do whatever. Our youngest, youngest son, Simon, was in the Australian Navy for six years. had a good friend, Tom, who told me how he became a Christian. Uh, Tom was based in Nowra, typical of young servicemen. Tom uh, was, uh, had his pub where he would booze with his Navy mates. He was there often, too often, even there sometimes on Sunday morning, drinking himself silly. But one morning, Tom said, I looked over the road, and there was now a Presbyterian church. Okay, it was a church of largely older people, not terribly big, uh, not, tot- not, not hopelessly small, rather elderly, rather traditional, traditional-looking church building. And Tom looked at the old people coming out of church. He looked at their smiles, their obvious love for one another, their laughter, and the visible affection that they had for one another. And Tom thought, he told me this. Uh, they've got, they, they had something that I don't get here boozing. I wonder what it is. Next Sunday, he didn't go to the pub. Next Sunday, he went to the church for the first time. He said, I bawled my way all through the church. But people were so friendly, and the minister, and when he invited people to go to a mission with him, I went and I gave my life to Christ and I haven't looked back. That's the way the gospel grew. It was the gospel, but not only the gospel. Got it? I made myself clear. If I can be a bit more personal, uh, I'm a fourth generation minister. My great grandfather was converted on the streets of Glasgow by a street preacher in 1859 in a revival then. Uh, he was a street kid who was uh, living by his wits in the Gorbals, one of the worst and most notorious slums of Glasgow. And he became a Christian, uh, both my grandfathers and my father. Now, uh, some people have said, so how come you didn't get, um, uh, you know, you heard the religion all the time. Yes, I did. Sunday by Sunday, midweek too, every morning at family prayers. My dad would say it often, no Bible, no breakfast. We were often late for school. He said, who cares? I'm sorry if you're a teacher. He said, who cares if you're late for school? Uh, we're going to pray together as a family. And we read the Bible on our knees every morning and even on the holidays. And he was tough as. I don't care what your, if your dad was tough, my dad was tougher than yours. Uh, no, no Sunday sport, no swimming. Not, we lived at Coffs Harbour then. No even bouncing a ball, no alcohol in the house, no cards, comics and novels discouraged. My dad was worse than your dad. <laughs> but here I am. And my three sisters, all of whom are leaders, lifelong church leaders, it ain't rocket science and it's not brain surgery. Was the gospel shared but lived? Was the gospel lived and shared? I've got a little scrap of paper at home that I've kept for 50 years. A little note from my father. I was about 18. We had this mighty argument about something just before school. Both yelling, full on. He clenched his fists and nearly punched me out. Probably should have, 
It was almost certainly my fault. You 18-year-olds or so know how far you can push your old man. I went off to school and forgot all about it. When I came home, there was a note on my bed. Dear Aunt, which I've kept for 70 years, uh, 50 years. Dear Andrew, I'm sorry for this morning. Please forgive me. There is nothing more powerful than the gospel. The gospel of God that is preached and taught and believed and lived. It changes lives. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God but our lives as well because you had become so very dear to us. Let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you that the gospel is being preached here in Port Macquarie Presbyterian Church. That uh, Scott and the elders here make sure that your word is opened and it's not the guru's cat. It's opened and believed and taught and explained and applied and I thank you that they're living that in their lives, in their personal life, in their life at work, in their life at home, in their Bible study groups, in the ordinary business of being a Christian in this community. And for each person here that we will take on board the gospel, it will go deep into our hearts. And, and it won't just be that, that we take on board the gospel, but we'll live it, we'll show it with our friends, with our families, it'll be... Uh, visible because there really isn't anything more powerful than the gospel that's lived in our lives, in our communities, in our families, in our church. Thank you. Amen.